When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to The Fear, a podcast about the overlap between comedy and horror. My name's Sarah Morgan. Hello. So this week I've been scaring myself by uh, choosing to go to uh, Secret Cinema Presents 28 Days Later, um, which, uh, if you don't know, 28 Days Later is a Danny Boyle's 2002 zombie film. Sorry, not zombies. Rage-infected civilians. Not zombies at all. They're not undead. Uh, big difference and Secret Cinema is like it's sort of uh, like an immersive theatre thing where uh, in this case they send you to a big empty hospital uh, wearing scrubs and hazmat stuff and you run around in the dark screaming and um, by while being chased by zombies uh, sorry not zombies the rage infected civilians Um, but anyway if you're anything like me uh, you're not actually scared of zombies or rage-infected civilians, but you are shit-scared of people acting near you. Um, Acting near me and admin, which is another thing uh, that there is a lot of for Secret Cinema, a lot of printing out, a lot of remembering to be in places and buying stuff in advance. It's very admin-y and very people acting near you-y. But uh, I still had a hoot, and I would uh, highly recommend it. My guest this week is Joel Morris. Uh, Joel is comedy writer with his writing partner, Jason Hazley, he uh, has written for Charlie Brooker. They wrote the recent Philomena Kunk Shakespeare special. Um, they uh, also wrote for Mitchell and Webb, and you probably know them best from their Ladybird books for grown-ups that they did uh, this Christmas. You probably you probably got a bunch of them for Christmas from relatives who get you, uh, and they're very funny. Um, anyway, I wanted to chat with Joel because he's a big horror fan, and he took some time out to make a horror film a couple of years ago. Um, this is a, a lovely episode. We talk a lot about kids' TV. We talk about creepy horror books from our childhood. Um, and it's a lovely, warm, fluffy, nostalgic-y, childhood episode. So uh, I suggest you grab a hot squash and get under a duvet and put your toes in, because that is monsters will definitely eat them otherwise. And um, hope you enjoy my chat with my friend John Morris. Tell me why about, is it two years ago now, you decided that you would take a pause from doing the comedies? And make a horror film in, I, the, in the countryside in the, with your friends in the cold for five days. I, don't, I can't remember. It, <laughs> um, it was it was to do with in comedy. I th- it was oh, I wanted to do something where I didn't have to ask permission, mm. um, which is what you tend to do in comedy a lot uh, because there's a limited amount of slots, uh, mm-hmm. getting fewer to, to do comedy and uh, certainly and get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought Will McLean and I, who did it together. Uh, Decided we were asking. Well, McLean, who was also a comedy writer. Oh, yeah, a comedy writer, Mm. huge horror fan. Mm. Um, And it felt also because I was doing it with someone else. Jason is less of a horror nerd than me, my usual comedy writing partner. So it felt like I wasn't cheating on him by doing something (laughs) well, because we were both, we obviously naturally got a bigger taste for horror. Mm. And we wanted to do something where we didn't have to ask permission. 
of someone to make it. And we said we'd just go and film something, uh, possibly even on our phones, if no one would give us a camera. Yeah. Um, we both really like horror. And someone said, for your first project, the easiest thing to do is take your friends out to the woods and cut them up. <laughs> Which is what basically everything from Evil Dead to Reservoir Dogs is. You find some friends and some mm-hmm. equipment, and it's the, it's the most visceral thing you can get a reaction mm-hmm. from. And oddly, I think that's what it's got in common with comedy. They're both visceral. Mm. You react... You can react to drama by stroking your chin or, or having a little, ooh, that's good. But I think you respond to horror by a quickening of the heart and you respond to comedy by laughing. And I think they're slightly similar. You look at something like American Werewolf in London or mm. even The Hammers. Uh, even The Wicker Man is really funny. Oh, it's, yeah. it's camp and, and funny, funny and yeah. there are big jokes in it. And it's, uh, I think that good... There's a, there's a good form of comedy that turns into horror, whether it's Shaun of the Dead or even The Haunting, Robert Wise's The Haunting, which mm-hmm. opens up in the campest, most Scooby-Doo way possible with, like, crazy Rust Hamlin going, we're going to a haunted house for a day! <laughs> and you go, hoo and then it starts to get frightening. Um, Will and I are working on another screenplay at the moment, which we're hoping we even more like that, where you start, and it's funny, and it well, feels... Well, comedy kind of, horror is, is a very well-established... Yeah. I mean, it's, that is my favourite... It's the same uh, impulse. My, you know, it's uh, the, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah. Is, uh, Cabin in the Woods is really funny. Mm. From Evil almost, Dead's really funny. Yeah, actually, they're, they're, and they're properly scary. I mm. think they're... Um, like, I have the same thing with, with pop music. I like, I like my music to have wit in it, mm. and a lot of horror is very witty as well. So, yeah, I don't think it's a huge... Change. No, I think. But I mean, this, this, this is uh, Daniel Ward pointed out so brilliantly. They're both about sort of confounding expectation, oh, horror God, yeah. and comedy. They did. They're both about taking a turn that you weren't seeing coming. Yeah, and they're also very structural as well. You can. I mean, drama is the same, I suppose, to a certain extent. But you can watch a lot of. If you watch a lot of Oscar-nominated films, mm. very often their structures aren't very tight because you can get away with drama. I think can, you can get away with the structure being a bit loose, mm-hmm. but with comedy. You better know where your act breaks are and your beats and things. And the same way with horror, you can. It's very easy for someone to get bored and stop being scared, or get bored and stop mm. laughing. But I think you grant drama permission to coast a bit. Well, drama can also make you. The, the, there isn't. There's. There's a definite reaction to comedy, which is laughing, and there's a definite reaction to horror, which is screaming or goosebumps or whatever. Yeah. You let's say very visceral reaction, whereas. That isn't the case with drama. You can go. That's very interesting. Yes, that has made me think. Yeah, you're, pre- you're prepared to yeah. sit still during. I'm talking about drama as if it's all mm. one thing. During you'll sit. Is through, it not still, all Broadchurch? That's the only one I've seen. Yeah, but you'll sit still through <laughs> yeah. through an average drama, going, "I'll wait for it to entertain me or to engage me," and you'll give it. I think people cut drama a lot of slack, which is probably why there's a lot of it being made. Because I think mm. well, you, know, you don't know if it's good or not. Yeah, drama. and you're frightened of saying that you're <laughs> the person who doesn't find it good. Whereas everyone's very very happy to say they don't find something scary. That you get this on. Well, you I, can prove that something isn't. Wait, sorry, you can prove. I'm doing air quotes. You yeah. can prove that something isn't funny by if people didn't laugh at it. But you can't prove that a drama isn't also, interesting by people yeah. get enraged if they don't laugh at a, a, yes. a, a, at a comedy in a way they don't. They'll go, well, it's interesting. I didn't mind it. I was like, there's a... Oh, I go looking for horror movies on Netflix and mm. Amazon and things, and I tend to find that all my favourite ones have got three stars. <laughs> because horror is something you either... People always go, they go and see, like, The Woman in Black and go, mm-hmm. didn't find it scary at all, it's Harry Potter. And you went, it's really good. Yeah. Oh, right, you were desperate to prove you weren't scared. Yes. So your review is two stars, I didn't shit my pants. Yeah. In a way that you go, well, I didn't laugh at all at the new Ben Elton, and you're proud to say it didn't affect you. And I, I'm, I'm an incredibly nervous, anxious, scared person. Mm. And my favourite thing about horror is it's scared 
scares the crap out of me. Yeah. Even bad horror scares me. I'm nervous the moment. I don't like going into dark places, haunted houses. I've never been on a ghost train. You mm. wouldn't be able to get me. I get nervous going around Black Gang Chine theme park where there are goblins hidden around <laughs> corners doing 1950s songs because I don't know they're around there. And I went there when I was a kid. I'm still... My son says, can we go in? And I go, it's quite dark. So I'm a... I'm a uh, I'm both a complete horror fan and also yeah. completely affected by it. And I, never under- it. I never understood why people went There's- to go and see things to not be scared. Yeah. When I went to see... Well, a woman in black popped into my head because I went to see that at the cinema on my own and realised I don't think I'd ever been to see a horror film in a cinema on my own. Mm. I watched them at home where I can grab a cushion and pause it and I can go to the kitchen and turn the lights on. And I thought, oh, I'm strapping myself into a roller coaster here, which is something I also hate. Mm. I thought, what if it's so scary I can't run away? <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. It was the first time I trapped myself in a dark yeah. room with a, a, a widescreen IMAX screening of, mm. of something that was designed to frighten me and I couldn't go and grab my bear. And I found yeah. that really quite... Uh, I, I, I was surprised I hadn't put myself through that before, and it was so much fun. There's, there, I mean, that is that is kind of the point of horror. I don't know. One of the many points of horror, I think, is that it's a safe way of like spooking yourself. Which, oh yeah, yeah, giving yourself permission to have. This is why, again, this, this comes up a lot on the show. It's talking about the difference between supernatural horror yeah. and slasher. Di- slasher horror, which yeah. some people can take. And some, you know. I have very little interest in slasher. I, I watched Mark Gatiss did quite a nice history of horror oh, that was lovely, on, yeah. on BBC4. And I watched it, and halfway through I went, oh, I'm only interested in a third of this. Mm. He's a proper horror fan. I can take or leave. I, I like You them. like spooks? Yeah, I can take or leave Hammer. I can take or leave. Thing. I have no interest oh, in okay. torture porn. Oh, uh, I don't like stuff that isn't really scary. I like stuff that really gets under my skin. Mm. And that tends to be ghosts or people going mad. I'm quite a big fan of things where people are going mad. Maybe that's my biggest fear, that I might lose my marbles. I think every comic or person in comedy I've spoken to for this, all... The biggest for, for all of us always boils down to song. It's and it's not about a ghost appearing at your window. It's about thinking a yeah. ghost is appearing at your window, um, you know, which we're going to get onto the innocence very you, soon. You know, you know that phrase. <laughs> that phrase is it just me? Yeah. I think because your life as a comedian is is saying is it just me? Or is it, the <laughs> biggest just fear. As a zombie yeah. The biggest fear is if someone goes no, it's just you. When yeah. when the, a point where, they, where, where, where where people say, did you not know there was a, there was a werewolf outside my window? And they go, that was just the wind in the trees. <laughs> and you go, oh my god, it's just me. That fear of being alone. Yeah. Comedy is about shared experience, mm. shared observation, agreeing that we all see things Finally, the same way. Yeah. Michael McIntyre is the opposite of someone's saying, we've all got that, and we've got, yes, we all agree. The opposite of that is Kevin uh, McCarthy in, in, in Boats of the Body Snatchers running up the street going, no one else can see that the aliens have oh come. My God. And so I think true. that there's a, a, a communality of comedy mm. and the desire to reach out. I mean, particularly, I'm writing a writing duo. Mm. The whole point of that is that I've got someone to check I've not gone insane with every morning <laughs> when I think something's funny. So we come and sit down, have a coffee, and I go, is this funny? And someone can quit. If I write Does on that my mean own, I'm more or less mentally unstable because I mainly write by myself. You're probably more <laughs> confident really you're right. <laughs> really or I, I have got, no confidence at all. Or I have a lot of voices who'll back up the other yeah. voices. Yeah, the mad voices in your head, the little <laughs> yeah. Bundy gang yeah. in your head. That's a great joke. And it, sorry, Dan, you said. Hmm. Yeah, I think mm. I think I, I. This is how John and I talk, by the way. <laughs> I want to, I want to double check. I think I want to double check that, that I'm not going mad. Yeah. And so I think I find that. Oddly, I'm, I'm, as a horror fan, I'm, I'm not a... I try and put rules for this. I'm not a huge fan of something where it's unambiguously a ghost as well. I'm really mm. fussy about my spooks. I like something where, for mm. most of it, I might think the person's going mad. Or that it might be about a real rational thing. I have a thing where that, that great... Old, what are the two greatest horror films of the 70s? Is it The Wicker Man or The Exorcist? And The Exorcist mm. disappointed me because it's definitely the devil. Whereas The Wicker Man... 
Nuada, the god of the sun, doesn't exist. Yes, it's but the true. mad people think he does, and they're mad enough to do a horrible thing. It's a, the real monster is man, the Wicker Man. Which I is, love which that. Is a, the classic. Yeah, yeah and basically, yeah. as a Twilight Zone fan, as mm. someone who likes that, and oh, grew I up love reading, the real monster is man. It's always yeah, amazing. It's, it was, when I was growing up, I read 2000 AD all the time, yeah. and that was always the end of all the future yeah. shocks and the twists. Was that yeah. the real the real aliens were people? And it's, I like that. And the, the, the thing I find enormously satisfying about the Wicker Man is you don't need to believe in anything. It's about belief, mm. but it's about certainty, and it's about what goes wrong when you're certain of something. Mm. Whereas The Exorcist, halfway through, it stops being about a woman having trouble dealing with a teenage girl who pisses on the floor and is rude to astronauts. So you don't see it's a metaphor? It is. It works very well as a metaphor in the same way as... if you are a girl who's been a teenage girl, it's a, The Exorcist isn't <laughs> it's, it's not. It's film. not as good a metaphor as Ginger Snaps, and that's really important, because I love Ginger Snaps. Oh, I love Ginger Snaps. It's amazing. But Ginger Snaps, I think, does yeah, it better, because yeah. it says it's something preposterous like a werewolf, and you've seen it before, and it does it as... Yeah, I mean, this is a very, very fluffy rule. But I always... I enjoyed The Shining until the ghosts let him out of the ice locker. At which point oh, you go, yeah. oh, there are ghosts. No, I completely agree. Yeah, and the yeah. rest of it is all yeah. about a man who can't deal with mm. work and family, which I always throw, I go, this is brilliant. It's like The Incredibles, but with horror. It's a man, it's a work-life balance <laughs> horror. I'm completely in here. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes, and then he's locked in the ice locker, yeah. and, the, and suddenly it opens mysteriously. Mm. And Kubrick, as someone who's got a very elastic grasp on story, doesn't really care because the images are great. Mm. And it's still one of the scariest, most enjoyable horror films. It's really good fun. Yeah, I've got but, no, I completely agree with you. But at that point, I went... Oh, so they're ghosts, at which point I slightly lost interest in it, which is a weird thing with something that visceral. But I think I like my... my when it talks to my, my taste in horror movies, I really like an ambiguous... Mm. I'll forgive something. There's a mm. bit in Dark Water, where all the way through Dark Water, the original Japanese Hideo Nakata one, which is one of my favourite horror films, it might be that the mum's having a nervous breakdown because she's getting divorced. And in the middle of it, the ghost appears to someone else. And I kind of went, well, I'll put, I'm enjoying this so much, I put my fingers in my ear yeah, and go, I'll yeah. pretend that didn't happen, but it's still really good fun. But I love it where the ambiguity runs all the way through. Mm. Because at the, end, at the end of it, you take it away, and I think it's more troubling. Yeah. And metaphor, I, I can take as well, but it's fun. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. Yes, the, 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 the Exorcist is a, yeah, a, a, a possession film. And it, no, I want to, let's, let's finish talking, because I'm, I'm so desperate to go on to The Innocents now, yeah. but I want to talk more about your yeah. film before we get on to The yeah. Innocents. Uh, so tell me how how and why, or well, you said the why, but how did you, what was the name of the film? I'm sorry. It's called The Cunning Woman, and it was, a, it was sort of just an attempt to write a short film and go and make it, and I had, it was really weird. I've got no, we went and directed it, Will and I directed it together, and I've sort of got no interest in directing, because I like writing. Mm. And my, my, heroes tend, my heroes tend to be writers, not directors. Mm. But I wanted to find out how hard it was. Mm-hmm. And the answer is really hard. And I wanted to do it so I'd stop moaning at people who wanted to change my scripts. Yeah. And it, I came back and I learned more in the four days we were away about writing than I'd ever learned. Uh, because, again, you're always asking for permission as a writer. So very often it's quite hard to see a project through to I finish. you're always asking for permission if you're a successful writer. Yeah, actually, yeah, <laughs> if you're trying to get paid for it. When I say I mean, as in you do it for a living, you yeah, get paid for it. Yeah, if you do it for a living, it, yeah. yeah. You, yeah then you're you've constantly lost, asking you've lost someone that to thing. publish it, put it on their yeah. telly. Yeah, you're yeah, doing yeah. it for a living, you don't want to work for nothing because mm-hmm. your family will go, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need food. So <laughs> you tend to... When you're starting out, you'll write for nothing. You'll write a 9,000-page novel for the fun of it because you're working in a power station Mm -hmm. at the same time or a bookshop or whatever. When you're doing it for a living... (laughs) William Faulkner did that. He used to write on night shifts at the power station. Homer. Homer's terrific novel. That's the thing. Homer has failed. He hasn't written his novel. Uh, But when you're you're working night shifts and things or whatever you're doing and you're writing a thing, you'll do it for nothing. He wrote the Iliad, didn't he? Sorry, I had to. I had to get it out because otherwise that would have just rattled around my head. That would have just rattled around my head. 
head. Isn't that in Amadeus where, where his wife, Wolfgang's wife plays nearly a scale to wake him up, so he has to come downstairs and push the last note? I don't know, but in a less classier example, I'm thinking shaving a haircut two bits from yeah. Roger Rabbit. Dum, dum, dum. Exactly. You have to Roger Rabbit. Yeah. yeah. How you must, must you complete. Must, yeah. You must finish it. So, uh, but yeah. yeah, I wanted to do something where I could direct it. Mm. And we directed it, and I found out how hard it was to direct. I found out as well that no one knows anything, that your finished script that got you the money, and everyone said was great on set suddenly becomes useless mm. I suddenly understood why screenwriters go well that thing that came back from set was nothing like I did mm. because stuff turns up you couldn't expect yeah. it's too quick I learned to rewrite really fast uh, and I'm really proud of it in the end it's a proper supernatural old fashioned ghost story and it's got a woman in the middle of it which is nice and it's, it's fantastic about, it's mean, about it's... postnatal depression which no one's made a ghost story about yet I don't think yeah, I mean, the closest is... I mean, Babadook was pretty... Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed Babadook because yeah. it was in the similar key, and I thought yeah. there's something... Again, the, there is a genuine monster in it, but it, that only about three quarters of spoilers, but about three yeah. quarters of the way through. But really actually, I, lots of people were disappointed by that, but I thought because it was very gothic, the Babadook, it gave you the clue all the way through that it was going to be a picture booky kind yeah. of... It was... I didn't mind that. It was a proper monster. It was a proper ghost Grimm's, story, yeah. Grimm's fairy tale. There, and there and also, I'm very happy to go with my metaphor theory, which is you can completely view the whole thing as a oh. Ginger Snaps-esque. Yes, yeah. I think of the metaphor holds mm. all the way through if mm. it if it flips into being a real monster and you don't feel like someone's cheated you or mm. shifted the gears I think that's fine if the real monster maybe that's it if the real monster represents the thing you were mm. metaphorically talking about perfectly and you feel it's seamless mm. which I think it does in Babadook mm. it's, it's a really nice mm. I like that a lot as a film because it was prepared to look like a picture book mm. without being Tim Burton-y yeah. it had sort of a real sort of oh, like, it's, Ooh, it's, visceral. Well, it, it's an interesting monster yeah, like, I mean, this is because your your uh, the cunning woman had a monster in it very mm. very briefly. Yeah, um, how uh, this is a question I always ask people who make horror. How do you build a monster? Where do you come up with a monster? Oh, Will Will McLean was far more interested in building the monster than I was, mm. and then on set I found out I should have been more interested in building the monster uh, <laughs> because at some point your monster has to step up and look good. And we, uh, God, the guy who did our grading. Uh, fixed that monster because it wasn't working. It was basically someone in a gorilla mask. Um, we'd made a, re- a gorilla we'd made a really scary mask of a mm. burned figure, and we wanted to catch it very, very briefly in the light from a phone. Mm. And I wanted to do so. Weirdly, when we wrote it, no one had done much with phones, not as communication, yeah. but as light sources. And I wanted to do something oh, where someone was looking. I always do this when I'm going up the stairs at night and I haven't turned the lights on because I don't want to wake the family yeah. up. And I climb up the stairs with my phone and I thought, this is a tiny pool of light like a candle. And I haven't seen enough films where either someone's oh, phone really isn't big enough. Yeah. We had to build, we, had, we built a brilliant phone rig. Our props designer did it brilliantly. Uh, worked out a way of rigging your phone so it had a real film light hidden inside mm. the camera case oh, of an iPhone. Okay. Um, which Susie uh, Kane, our lead actress, could use. And as long as you did the intercut shots from each side of the phone, you mm. couldn't see it had a rig in it. But it meant that we could light using just a phone. That's brilliant. And there was a nice scene we did in it, which I didn't quite come off in the direction, but I was really excited about where she's desperate to find her phone in the dark to find mm. out what's in the secret room. And it's caught on its charger cable, and she's wrestling with it. And I thought, that's really good. I wanted it to be really domestic, ordinary things. Yeah. And it's the idea of lighting. When, you've, when you move from being a writer into being a director, you suddenly realise that direction is all about light. Mm. and where light comes from and where mm. you can excuse light sources being from. Um, and that's why J.J. Abrahams, this lens flare, which everyone takes the P out of, which he borrowed from Spielberg, is really good because he's understanding there are... It's all about yeah. where's the light casting onto someone's face when Indiana Jones opens the treasure and the gold mm. rushes into his face. That's cinema. And it's odd, you, as a writer, you go, I wouldn't think about that. But we, yeah. knowing we'd have to direct it, we wrote a lot of stuff in it that was just about where light comes from. And 
in the beginning of The Exorcist, that great scene in the loft where she's got the candle and it suddenly flares up and her, light, oh, yeah. her face is all lit up by light. That's pure magic lantern show Victorian horror. Mm. And it's all to do with darkness and light. And the horror a lot is to do with your eye seeing, what's it called, pareidolia? Seeing shapes oh. half in the darkness. I'm just going to show you my screen. Do you have the word pareidolia? Yeah. you literally have the word pareidolia right You look round the frame for where faces might be. Yeah. One of the great things in Robert Wise's The Haunting this, and also in The Innocence. Yeah. Also in The Innocence is yeah. the houses are full of statues, so you're constantly glimpsing faces in the corner of the frame oh, that are just statues. Uh, the Haunting's got that brilliant, horrible, ugly statue of mm. Hugh Crane, the old owner of the house. That is always, every time Robert Wise cuts, he cuts to a horrible shot of this horrible man's face in mm. half light, and you jump because you think, is that the ghost? And of course, the joy of the haunting is you never see the ghost, but you yes. see a lot of statues that you think might be the ghost. presented by me, Joel Morris. And me, Jason Hazley. In which we talk to people who make comedy. About the films. And TV. And books. And records. And comics. And people. That make them laugh. She doesn't want people having a go at Martin. <laughs> even though she can. And that's true of... I mean, most of my friends are idiots, but they're my friends. Yeah. <laughs> I never really understood what Han Solo did for a job. <laughs> you don't need to know anything more than, like, he's just sobbing while <laughs> being punched in the balls. They were just trying to make each other laugh in the office. You have to show a certain amount of contempt for your audience. <laughs> <laughs> Write your own jokes, been a morning, you lazy bastards. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Rule of Three Pod. Rule of Three. Available now from all good podcastier. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Julia Rayside, and I'd like to invite you aboard my podcast, 
Always There is the only podcast to navigate through every single episode in order of the 1980s seafaring soap opera, Howard's Way. I mean, if we're talking lacquer, we need to go back to Polly, who's got 28 cans of Elmet. It was definitely um, yeah. feeling horrible that you hadn't done your homework. Yeah. Obviously, Lynn is immediately in a bikini. It's, it's a freezing day in, I'm guessing, I February. I that swing pool looks f***ing freezing. You don't have to love Howard's Way or even remember it. We're going to talk about it anyway, because I think it's brilliant. Jack still feels very much at sea. I can't help reaching for these puns. I'm so yeah, sorry. No, it's important. He doesn't really acknowledge how grave... What his... an ocean of trouble Thank you. It is. This is why we got you on your there bloody you see. That's all I've got. I'm leaving now. Available from your usual podcast supplier. Find us on Twitter at AlwaysTherePod. Somebody's nicked my bloody boat. There's the great thing that I wanted to talk about as something that scares you from childhood almost, that's in The Haunting, which is that the voices that come through the wallpaper, mm. which is a man lecturing his wife on being evil, and mm. you are cursed forever, or whatever, it's a Bible verse, is muffled like the voices of adults downstairs when you're a child. Yes. When my brother and I used to laugh about this, the sound of two uncles arguing. <laughs> and in the morning everyone smiles again. It's really scary as a kid. Muffled arguments from downstairs. Like just, did you just get, in, like, get that moment picture of just sitting at the top of some banisters? Go, like, shall I go down? Going, like, if I if I go back to bed, they're going like, to. You'll I'm hear sitting, the creak I'm on sitting, the stairs. Yeah, I'm sitting on guard if I sit at the top and of the stairs. Oh, oh, really, but yeah, I, I watched the haunting scene again and thought, hey, this is really good. It's a good ghost scene. Yeah. And she's in the dark and she's holding her friend's hand. And at mm. the end of it, it's not her friend's hand, her friend's on the other side of the room. But it's the same scene they do the wallpaper and Julie Harris is going, again, it's, it's mm. mentally unstable. And she's staring at the wallpaper and she starts to see faces in it and she hears the voice of the man who she, towards the end, thinks is claiming her within the house. Mm. And it's. A muffled male voice, and my brain just goes, "That's mum and dad downstairs yeah. from your childhood." It's really Don't scary. So obviously, the Ladybird books, you and uh, Jason have had big success with those. Uh, a conversation that we had on the way here, and have had many times before, mm. is our uh, other books from our childhood that we are. Oh yeah. Big fans of uh, that. The, uh, just as visceral, and uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, What's the, I mean, you could probably describe it, but when you look at the Ladybird pictures, and they are just Ladybird pictures, that they couldn't be anything else. Ladybird books are just this thing, and we have that with other books from yeah. our childhood as well. Don't I was we? talking about this with the, when we did the, we talk about the Ladybird books and the illustrations in those. The mm. funny thing about them is that they're not Quentin Blake. They're, mm. they're painted by people who usually painted things like industrial plant machinery and mm. Ford cars and did adverts. They're realistic, photorealistic painters, and they were challenged in the Vera Southgate fairy story ones mm. to paint things like the big bad wolf mm. and the troll under the bridge and instead of doing it like Quentin Blake would do it where you go ooh a whimsical mm. world of fairy tale magic they look like war artists it yes. looks like they were there and they witnessed <laughs> that troll and it's the absolute certainty of all the Ladybird books the illustrations go is there a troll under... I mean, this looks like he's had a troll pose for it. Yeah. And they're slightly cartoony. You can see they've tried to do a sort of Chuck Jones crazy, but they've painted all the shadows in it. It's really realistic and it's haunting and weird. And the same thing applied to when I used to read the Osborne yes, this books is, of UFOs and ghosts and things. They were painted by commercial artists who were used to painting real things. And you went, oh, there's no argument. In the same way there's no argument when the Ladybird books say, King John was a bad king. No mm. debate, that's how a children's book is. They go... Uh, 
a family on the Isle of, uh, on the Isle of Man were haunted by a talking <laughs> mongoose called Jeff. And you went, were they? Well, there's a picture of him. It appears to be a news photograph of him. And your brain is a kid. Yeah, never... Or like the, the wolf boy who's just got like gizzards hanging out of his yeah. mouth. But it's painted exactly as you say, as if he's, you know, a mechanic, you know, fixing and I, a corn with John is a mechanic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is eyewitness art. And you, weirdly, as a kid, you don't question because they're great paintings. And yeah. as a kid, everyone loves, everyone as a kid loves anything that looks like it is, like photorealistic. Mm. That's why mm. you're obsessed by airbrush art as a boy. <laughs> For about three months, you're obsessed by Philip Castle's Farrah Fawcett with jet tits. You look just like a woman with jet tits. It's really weird that fascination with things being really good. Oh, he's really good at drawing, and that that obsession with realistic art that I think comes from those books. Your brain doesn't think that's not a photograph, so I can doubt it. Yeah. It goes, well, it looks like a photograph. Maybe there are ghosts. And a grown-up probably spent upwards of five or six hours painting this. Yeah, so they so wouldn't that... have wasted their time on something that's just, I don't know, bullshit. Just some <laughs> kind of speculation about what a vampire might be. This is just a picture of a vampire. I... Those pictures, though, in the Osborne books. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, I think they are so, such a huge... You can, if I, I'm trying to pull them up on my phone, we'll mm. maybe have a look at some later, but some of the pictures... If you see that, I see that, I just get chills because they were yeah. so... You know, the, well, they um, did weird things. That they, that in one of the, the ones I read, the ghosts one, they painted... So, hang on, it was, it was the Osborne Book of Ghosts, and there was ghosts, there was monsters, well, there, there was two, myths and legends. There were two, there were two series of Osborne, And then they, which and they sandwiched them together. Well, there were two they, series, yeah. one with the little paperbacks, sort, mm. of, sort of A5, sort of normal paperback mm. side, which was ghosts, vampires and werewolves and UFOs or something. Or, or, oh, yeah, UFOs. Sorry, no, UFOs so, Strange Powers was the other one. Oh, okay. And then there was, was a big one, yeah. A4 one, which is the one I was really obsessed by, that was monsters, ghosts and UFOs. And the UFOs, I did a project on UFOs aged eight at school, which I don't know how my teacher put up with the fact I was just constantly drawing the Grace. Hopkinsville gremlin and greys <laughs> and men in black and, and uh, Adamski's. But what's weird is they're full of photographs that have been, for whatever reason, copyright reasons, painted by the artists. Mm. And my eight-year-old brain never thought... Well, that's clearly the worst way of showing that this really happened, is yeah. that someone has painted... They could have put anything in that. Yeah. It's worse even than Photoshop. You've yeah. painted a picture of that man with his dead mum in the back of the car yeah. where the, the, the bit of the collar overlaps the edge of the car, and they go, this is evidence, this is supernatural, rather than evidence that it's a double exposure. Uh, you don't question it because it's got oh, authority. It's, it's like that, uh, that legal gentleman sketch where they're door-to-door uh, uh, preachers, and they're, they, show, they show this, look at this photograph taken, this is what hell looks like and it's like well that's a painting this is a actual photograph yeah. <laughs> they sort of you have complete... sort of bible pamphlet yeah. paintings that are that are meant to represent like but the, oddly yeah. that that takes you back to an era where you'd yeah. have gone into a church as a medieval peasant and yeah. seen a painting of hell on the wall and gone yeah. is that what it's really like yeah. i suppose that credulity which kids have got is tapped into by them being mm. paintings i suppose um the, yeah, the authority of a painting. Again, someone's bothered to do it. So yeah. no one would bother to do this if there was any doubt at all. So I grew up with enormously uh, credulous and watched... Uh, uh, I got into Eric von Daniken and Chariots of the Gods and I read uh, all those books. On, even to the point of reading sort of Bajan and Lee before Da Vinci Code and thinking, oh, this is interesting, maybe Jesus is... All this bullshit. Mm. And uh, Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World, yeah. which the titles of which I had to hold my breath during because the images were so scary I might breathe them in. Spontaneous human combustion. Scary Those chair. Oh, uh, the, guy, the guys with the big monkey, the loris, and it's staring out and it's got like a man's <laughs> eyes, but it's about eight foot tall. And uh, I, I, I'm fascinated. I, I've been to the Loch Ness Monster exhibition. I was obsessed by this yeah. stuff. And as I got older, I went, actually, this is all deliciously bullshit. Yeah. Fascinatingly bullshit. And it's interesting that humans believe it. Yeah. I find ghosts fascinating because I yeah. don't believe in Same. them. Same, yeah. 
And I find it amazing that the human brain can see them. And I find it amazing that even though I know almost with total certainty that there's no such thing, that I will watch endless films about it. Because mm. I like pushing that button maybe from childhood when I believed more or where, where fear was quite easily somewhere in a sheet rather than the abstract fears I've got now about responsibility. Well, I was going to say, surely the, the reason why if you don't believe in ghosts, ghost stories are comforting is because they are, you can prod that bruise, you can test. It's not you, a you ghost. Can test your, you can run your system in a safe way. You can yeah. give yourself an MOT and check that you've still got feelings and you still get scared. And, and, uh, but let, do you know Sorry. what, this might be an interesting point to then start talking about the innocence. The innocence. talking about um, uh, ghosts and how for both of us, because we're not believers in the supernatural, that the, it, it is so often the case that the scary thing is the idea that you might see a ghost because you're yeah. going mad um, which is certainly a theme in one of your with your the, when I said, can you tell me your favourite moment from a scary movie or your favourite scary moment, you said... Uh, it's the scene in The Innocents where, for the first time, Deborah Carr plays a governess. It's the turn of the screw. It's adapted for, for uh, as a film in, a, in the early 60s. And it's uh, Deborah Carr as a governess who is very protective of these two children who she's been put in care of. And she's so worried about them, she becomes convinced that something is trying to corrupt them. And she begins to believe it's the dead spirits of the previous uh, governess and the uh, man she was in love with, a man called Quint, and Miss Jessel is the previous governess, she thinks they've come back from the grave to unnaturally corrupt the children who are in her charge. And there's a scene where she first sees what she thinks is Peter Quint, the sinister Peter, Win- uh, Peter Wingard plays him as this sort of a face-at-the-window kind of guy, um, who appears in the garden of the house where she's the governess at the top of a tower. So you can see um, this clip and obviously we'll be playing the audio of it but it's if you go on YouTube it comes up and if you put in uh, The Innocence it comes up on a scariest scene ever lol or something <laughs> from it's proper scary and it's proper scary because so we open with um, the governess playing with two children and there are two uh, 
children in a nursery and they're talking in posh voices, which is scary anyway. Children yeah. talking in posh voices from the, from the days of yore. When was, what year was it made? About 1960. And the, the, the lead kid in it ended up in Village of the Damned, the lead kid oh, in that. Really? He basically, no. it, it's the, the original spooky children. It's even got a scary children's song. It was the first time I think mm. it's used. They use a scary children's piping voices folk song as the the theme that runs through it. It's, it's where that idea came from, the creepy yeah. children. So it's, a black, it's black and white kids, black kids in black and white talking in very posh let's go and play hide and seek shall we that sounds like Dolly they're the the kids from Brief Encounter the ones who go mummy there are no pantomimes in June (laughs) they sound like they've been dubbed by by adults pretending to be children but they are child actors from that era and there's beautiful sort of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for there's sort of jolly nursery music yeah. uh, as the governess runs out and you know when you hear jolly nursery music and someone runs off to play a game of hide and seek that something awful is going to happen yeah. because it's just it's that beautiful build it's the innocence it's the it's it's a very sort of mm. uh, it hums it's got a really good atmosphere the mm. the, the Director of photography is the guy who did the Elephant Man in 1980s. Mm. It's beautifully black and white. Black and white. It's one of the most, very lush. It's one of the most yeah. beautiful and and high class horror films I've ever seen. It's it's written by Truman Capote and John Mortimer oh, from a Henry James oh, novel. So you go, there's a lot of talent involved. It's really good, and it is the ultimate. She might be going mad. The ambiguity mm. is all the way through it. It comes from that era around the time of Psycho, where. Uh, Freud had become a really big issue and it uses lots of Freudian stuff in it and the idea of psychology being the root of evil or darkness. Uh, Kate Bush wrote the song The Infant Kiss about this Mm. movie because there's a brilliant scene where the young boy leans over his governess and suddenly the way he's behaving in his eyes, he's not a child. He has clearly in her eyes he's got the spirit of this adult man, predatory, and he kisses her in a way an adult would kiss Mm. A woman rather than a child kissing his governess goodnight. It's full of simmering nastiness. Oh, but this okay. scene is, she's yeah. out in the garden and... Well, she's not in the garden, she's in the garden room, isn't she? Because she hides behind a curtain. Oh, no, this is a different scene. This is... This is oh, I'm what... talking about the hide-and-seek scene. Oh, oh, this is the hide-and-seek scene. Okay. This is a slightly different scene. This is... Because there is a fa- there is oh, the wind- face at the window. The face at the window is a separate scene. There, there are loads of these in it. But my... Oh, okay. The thing I wanted to talk about was it's... Because it's yeah. a good audio scene. It's a good thing mm. to talk about the power of, of sound in horror movies because you're looking for clues in the frame the paradoilia thing. You're also, your mm. ears are very attuned because the idea is your adrenaline should be up. Your amygdala mm. has been turned on and your animal mm. brain is going, listen for a crack of the twigs because that means the lion's going to come and get you is the state you should be in watching So wait, did movie. YouTube lie when they said scariest moment in this movie, lol? Uh, no, actually, they're, no, they're, they're right. It probably is the most scariest moment in it. It's the most famous one, but the, the moment I want to talk about is earlier on. It's yeah. the first time she sees Quint and it, she's in the garden mm. and it's it, this is slightly Wicker Man-y actually because there's this folk song being sung, mm. same as before, the kids are singing folk song in the garden playing hide and seek in the garden she goes out and she's in the garden and you can hear bird song it's very very lush and especially if you put headphones on you can really hear this and then suddenly she uh, she opens uh, she picks up she goes through some undergrowth and finds a statue mm. of a child a cherub holding two hands and the hands are broken off it's a scary statue scene really? and you suddenly you jump because there's a face in the bushes and out of the cherub's mouth uh, a beetle crawls <laughs> and falls to the ground and the moment that happens suddenly all the audio of the bird song stops and you think something's gone wrong with the sound but then she turns around she's in this big victorian dress and you hear the dress go and you realize all that's happened is that nature has gone <gasps> silent and she looks up into the sun and the, the flare fills the, mm. the screen I said it's all about light and darkness mm. horror films it's in bright sunlight she looks up at the tower of the thing and suddenly through the sun sh- sunlight she sees a man's figure at the top of the tower and it's still silent she stares at it for a while and she's so frightened she drops something she's holding into a pond and there's a splash and the bird song comes back 
and I and it's really chilling and horrible. And it's all to do with sound. And I watched this, thought this is brilliant. This is pure cinema. And then I reread the novel, and it happens in the novel. It's a Victorian novel with a piece of modern film sound editing in it, and it describes the bird song stopping. And I was fascinated by how did Henry James think of something mm. which is a modern film technique. It's the Saving Private Ryan where the bomb goes off and mm. you go deaf. It's used in all modern films to, sub, to, to disorientate an audience. Mm. Suddenly all your sound cues go. And I read it in the novel and thought, how did he get the idea of an audio edit? Mm. And I was talking about this with some horror fans, one of whom, weirdly, was Paul Merton. It was at a party. Mm. And this is the name-droppy clang. But <laughs> Paul Merton is obsessed with early cinema. And I said, where, and he liked the film, so I was talking, I said, I love the innocence of nattering away. Mm. And I said, where on earth would the novelist have got the idea of cutting the sound out? And he said, in Magic Lantern shows in Victorian and 18th century uh, uh, entertainment at, at fairgrounds, when the devil appeared, the sound stopped. Wow. And Peter Quint in this in The Innocence is basically the devil he's the darkest force of corrupting evil and he appears and the sound stops and I love the idea that this is a trick that's been being used in basically horror cinema even in its earliest form as a Magic Lantern show you'd go into a sideshow and they'd show slides and there'd be sounds of the devil and they used to have one of the Momi on the South Bank the old Museum of the Moving Image which I loved as a kid you'd go and visit the Magic Lantern show and it was slides of the devil and hell Mm. and smoke and smells and sounds. And apparently one of the soundtracks they did in Magic Lantern shows, which I assume Henry James would have been aware of, it's only a theory, mm. was is cut the sound out when the devil comes because it's really right. scary. Yeah. Silence is terrifying. And yeah. it, this is... obviously The loss bit, of senses, the lo- a loss of one of your senses is terrifying. Yeah, and again, yeah. it's to do with sanity. You suddenly you realise you're inside this woman's head. Right. Did she see the man on the top of the tower? Or is she, which is the theme of the innocence, is she so frightened that the children will be sexualised, will grow up, will come out of her care? She is seen as virgin, or she's Mary Poppins. She's so frightened she will lose control of them to the filth and depravity of the working classes because he's a gardener she's so frightened of this that is she just seeing threats Mm. everywhere which is where the Daily Mail fear of the other comes from that your children will be taken away you can't let them play in the street it's a very very good thing about paranoia that your children will be corrupted Um, and I love that one scene you're inside her head and it goes quiet and you think did the bird stop singing to which the answer is that's impossible (laughs) so did she just I mean you must have been in an experience like this where Mm. a bit like Time goes slow in a car accident, yeah. or something so frightening you go deaf, you yes. or you lose a sense. You're in the moment so much that you're so scared that you lose a sense, Absolutely. and you're. I liked it because it's mm. usually in a horror film that's done with darkness. You go into the dark attic or the cellar, and you can't see. And I love the fact they've done something with audio that's the same as being lost mm. in darkness. You can't. Yeah. Your senses aren't working. It's well, also, it's, it's often replaced by. The sound of a heartbeat or your own heartbeat. Yeah. When you when what you can hear. Whoa, 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 well, in this, whoa. it's the sound of the swish of her mm. big starchy Victorian governess's dress. <laughs> it's the first time you go, oh, she's mm. not deaf. She's just in her own head. Um, and the figure at the uh, on the the top of the tower, even though it's Peter Wingard at a distance, mm. he's just scary at a distance. Anyway, he wrote a song about rape. He's the most <laughs> frightening man, or sang a song about rape. He's the most frightening man to be at the window for a governess. For, a pr- for Mary Poppins, it's just called rape. The Russian method of rape. He's a he's a slightly seedy and frightening man from a different time of different moral values. But in this, he's wonderful. He, he's almost silent. His role mm. is he's usually just a face at the window, um, or, uh, or on the mm. top of the town. The idea is he's coming. The, the ghosts in this are amazing. The Miss Jessel, the the the, the previous governess, appears standing on the water of a lake mm. amongst the reeds in what I think is one of the most horrible images in in cinema because she's just again mm. supernatural 
the great thing about this is not just about supernatural, it's about unnatural and the Victorian idea of that certain behaviour is unnatural. Mm. And in this case, it's the fact that they had a vibrant sex life and that the children mm. may have seen them at it ah. is where the corruption comes. It's very clever. And right till the end, you don't know whether it's in her head and the, the final twist at the end is done really well. It's the thing that the others, the mm. Nicole Kidman film, yeah. most consciously borrows from. If you like the others, yeah. The Innocence is, is where they got the idea of making mm. a film about protecting children like that. Uh, it's great. Um, it's, again, it shares values with Dark Water as well. And The Ring, Hideo Nakata, the Japanese mm. director who does basically Victorian English horror, but in Japan, mm. they're always about protecting children. The great scene in The Ring where she realises her son's sitting alone in the front room watching the TV and she's left him alone mm. and realises he's watching the cursed video <laughs> is every parent's fear about what, what yeah. have I left my children in front of? Oh, God, it's, yeah. <laughs> the great thing in, in The Innocence and the title of it, mm. The Innocence, mm. is that what's frightening is that what if these children aren't innocent and that's what every mm. parent deals with that's what scary, as we said before when The Exorcist is the girl's growing up mm. and she isn't under the control of the mother anymore she's going to piss on the floor and yeah. diss the astronaut. It's my favourite <laughs> you scene. Oh, that is, you're going to die up there. That's the best bit. You're Nothing, going to die up there. Nothing's as scary as her being rude to the astronaut at the dinner party. That's where the devil is. You're going to die up there. So, your second choice, I asked you to tell, talk, tell me about something that scared you from your childhood, and I was really surprised when you said this one, because I know you to be an Oliver Postgate and Pete oh, Furman yeah. freak, a fiend, and... Um, I'm obsessed by them. Yeah, but you, your choice was... My choice was Oliver Postgate's homemade spring reverb <laughs> unit he used to use for echoes. When I was a kid, one of the, I think the thing about horror is you're fascinated by what scares you, and as a kid... I was quite a nervous kid, uh, but I loved Ivor the Engine and I loved Bagpuss and mm. I've, I've carried that love and Noggin the Nog and things. I love that and I've carried that love of how brilliant and beautifully crafted mm. and careful and calming and sweet they are into my adulthood and my little boy loves them and we, I've, I've been lucky enough to go down to see the barn where they, they recorded it and they're, they're enormously important to me. But I was terrified of them as a kid. I was... There were... Bagpuss I really, really loved. I loved the clangers, but I loved Bagpuss probably most of all. And I was scared by Bagpuss most of all. And it was the fact that it wasn't like other children's programmes. Mm. Someone said there's a thing about Bagpuss that scared them, which was that it opens with Victorian photographs, which means everyone in it is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's other. It's not how you'd make a children's programme. It feels like it's from a... Yeah. It's got the same value as watching Japanese horror. It's from a different culture. It feels like a Victorian artefact, which I really like about it. But as a kid... It scared me, and the thing that scared me was it had been made on a low budget, so the animation was quite jerky and weird. Mm. And when Oliver Postgate wants to put echo on things, he uses his homemade <laughs> reverb unit, which isn't how anything sounds, because mm. it's not a real... There's two clips. Like one is, is the sound of, of the bagpipes from the small, soft Hamish creature in yes. bagpipe, bagpipes, which is <laughs> slightly out of tune, especially, especially whimsically funny bagpipe playing, but it's got a slight echo on it, it's dissonant, and it sounds like, again, make a return to it, you're going mad. Mm. 
Mm. It sounds like the thing that's in. Well, it sounds s- like the tape has certainly been warped. There's with warp the way on, on it, purpose, or, or just because it's a cheap tape machine. But there's a warp to that. that yeah, it's horrible, those sounds yeah. on the very, very limited, boxed-in echo of a man in a small shed that's, recording it. Mm. It sounds claustrophobic, and it's not what the images are showing. The images are showing you're out on the moors in Scotland. Mm. The echo should be long, but the echo's short, mm. and it's got the same thing as as a passage in a Pink Floyd song that's meant to be an acid trip or you're going mad. One evening as they sat quietly by the fire they heard a sound they recognised. Was it the distant sound of badly played bagpipes or was it the distant crying of another soft Amish? Tavish McTavish looked at his friend. He said Is it my long lost brother here playing a scuttle on the bagpipes? The soft Amish shook its head. Is that your own long-lost brother calling you to come home? asked McTavish. The soft Hamish nodded and looked very sad. Aye, you must go to your own folk, said McTavish. And I heard this noise. I, I, the, 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 the chronology doesn't quite work, but I found this scary as a kid, so I used to watch Bagpuss, and if it was the Hamish one, I'd turn it off or I'd run out of the room and I wouldn't watch it. And even when I got the DVD, it wasn't until my son watched it that I finally watched the Hamish one again as, a, as an adult. I was still scared of it. It still made me nervous. I was frightened there were Hamish's under my bed. Wow. I used to... That was the thing I tucked my feet in to avoid. And it's a charming episode. But I was scared by it, which is why I don't really worry about kids seeing scary things, because kids will find something scary in the most innocent thing. So I have a, a confession to make, which is I am not as huge a nerd. I love the clangers, and I mm. love... Uh, uh, a lot of the, the, the postgate firm business, but I really, really am frightened of Bagpuss. Not it is Bagpuss, scary. Not Bagpuss program. The thing I have a genuine, and it's just a, it's a tonal thing or something. I don't know what it is, and I never thought I'd have to say this on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but it's very fear it's very, of Bagpuss is a thing. I, I have a genuine fear of the mice. Yeah, it's the it's the frequency of the the, the mice who sing the and we I know that Gav will drop a clip in here, and I'm never going to listen to this bit back. But it's the we will fix it. <laughs> with glue 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 we will stickle it every little bit of it we will fix it like new 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 we will find it we will bind it we, we will, will stick it with glue 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 we will stickle it every little bit of it we will fix it like new 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 we will fix it like new new Last night, uh, I sat up with my husband and we watched the Soft Hamish episode because uh, yeah. uh, he's a, a music producer. He's fascinated by reverb. He was he wanted to, you know, we talked a lot about the reverb. They got to just a bit with the mice. I literally shouted at the top of my voice, fuck off, and went under the toothpaste. I couldn't cope with it at all. When like, I was a teenager... horrible, such your teeth on it. When I was a teenager... I had a my brother and I got a reel to reel tape deck that you could slow down and we slowed the mice down. And, and then slow, they said, We're going to kill you. Like, like a Led Zeppelin back masking, <laughs> looking for my sweet Satan thing. That was what I did as a teenager. And then we slowed it down. And the really weird thing is <laughs> it's it's backpuss. What's oh, weird fuck. about it is it's Oliver no. Postgate's voice. So he's going, <laughs> we will fix it. We're, it's just horrible. But none of this takes no. away from how much I love Bagpuss. It's brilliant. <laughs> but that episode scared me. And when I was a, when I was a bit older, when I was about six or seven, so I I was a bit older. I had a, a childhood asthma, which I don't have anymore, like a lot of people who end up being comedy nerds and stay indoors a lot and can't do sport did. I had childhood asthma. More asthmatic what, than charismatic. I, I went... For everyone I was friends with at school had glasses and couldn't run. Um, when I was a childhood asthmatic, they tried a, a substance. I think it's called Fenugan. They still sell it as a treatment for allergies, mm. for, for seasonal childhood asthma. And it, was a, it was a... I think you get it as a blue tablet or you get it as a... 
as a nail varnish remover tasting medicine. Mm. And one of its side effects is hallucinations. Wow! And if you're a little kid and you take a medicine, your mum says, take this, and then your mum is 100 feet tall and whispering with, with oh. Oliver Postgate reverb on her voice, which oh is God. what happened. You keep going, I feel a bit weird. Are you all right? And she's 100 foot tall and the wardrobe's moving and things. It's basically LSD. It's, and I looked it up on yesterday on the web. I'd never looked it up before. It said, side effects, hallucinations in some children. I've met other asthmatics who had the same thing. And they withdrew it. And there's now a thing saying you've got to be really careful giving it to children. But I had it. And the weird thing was it gave me the feeling of watching backwards. And it's because there are audio hallucinations associated yes. with this drug. And in Oliver Postgate did a thing, uh, Lovely Nog in the Nog, which I adore. Mm. And probably possibly, I think Noggin might be my favourite Oliver Postgate mm. animation. It's totally charming. But there's a scene where some children are singing and he's got his reverb unit out again to make it sound like they're outside the castle. And so the pictures of them dancing around outside the castle and the sound is of them trapped in a lift. <laughs> and my brain can't cope with how scary that is. I still hope it for my childhood. It's just, it's the one bit, and it's to do with the low budget. They wouldn't do it mm. now. An audio engineer, if it wasn't a one-man show, would have said, that's the wrong echo for this yeah. environment. But he went, I'm doing this on Bicycle Parts and Meccano. I'm doing my best. <laughs> and weirdly, the fact that it's a bit wrong makes it sound like psychedelia. But in yeah. the scary nightmare, bad acid, Dr. Demento's, they're coming to take me away, ha-ha, psychedelia that I used to find frightening as a kid and again we're up to what's the scariest idea going mad right well let's talk about your last thing and again this is I I love the ones uh, when I ask my guests uh, to just tell me your a fear that you live in now a wild card fear and they send me like a couple of words and I go don't tell me anything else I don't Mm. want to know anything else because I want you to talk to me about this now and you email me two words which were opening post (laughs) (laughs) it's your letters it's your letters I've got usual fears. I, I'm a nervous driver. I don't mm. like being at speed. I, I'm afraid of heights. I deal very badly with... with I, the last holiday, I had to go up and wave from the top of a castle at my son, and I hate doing that because I have to look confident, and I'm not. Um, but opening post, I've, I think, is the thing... Is A fear is something where you will behave irrationally to stop it, to mm. avoid it. And I'm quite a rational person. I've, I've run, a, I've run my own business course, for years. And I will do irrational things to avoid opening post God. because I think, and what it is, it's to do with, I'm going to dig down to it live, I've not thought about this properly, I think it's to do with being a grown-up, that no one else can do this, I have to do it, yeah. so it's, it's like I can't be a child with this, so I behave childishly to make it go away. The same way as people think accountants are telling them off. Mm. My accountant isn't telling me off, he works for me, I pay him, but every time he phones me I think he's telling me off. So oh, I, I think love Dad's that, he works up. for me, yeah, you, have to, you had to say that in, in that tone of voice to remind yourself. I'm that, paying yeah. him, he's yeah. doing a service, he's there to help, but yes, I think he's there think to tell me was, yeah. He's a teacher who's said I haven't done my homework, yeah. it's that. And I think every... So I let mail pile up and then lie to my agent that I did get contracts or they've gone missing in the post and they'll find them years later. Mm. I don't, it causes endless trouble, but I think it is, if I open it up, I'll have to act on it. Mm. And if I have to act on it, that might take all day. And I'm a freelancer, and I don't realise that what people do in offices who have real jobs is they open their emails in the morning and have to act on them, and that mm. takes all day so they never yeah. get anything done. Yeah. And I think, as someone who's real fear is that my family will starve or I will starve or that I've chosen a stupid job that means I won't be able to earn a living and the worst thing in the world with me as there's probably some old 
growing up in the 70s with the 70s dad thing that my job is to provide for my family yeah. even though my wife works and works very hard <laughs> my job secret in the back of my mind is I must provide for my family if I answer this post and it takes all day I won't have done any work right and if I, admin takes up the whole it's day it's art versus admin isn't it yeah that is the third I won't get my art started and yeah. my art requires me to dick around on Facebook for an hour yeah absolutely isn't to that get, weird? Isn't to that get brilliant started. when you realise that? When you realise that an important part. Jason of what said gets it's doing scales. Yeah. It's doing scales before you do yeah. the piece. You've got to get your fingers working. So as Facebook is typing and explaining your ideas to other people, so is any form of writing. It's a, but post <laughs> doing what grown ups want me to do about my bank account. There's never going to be account. anything good in there anymore. I mean, there might be a parcel yeah. from Amazon, but you know what that is. It's like the la- when the landline yeah. rings, it's only junk mail or my mum. Yeah. It's a robot um, or your or your mum. Email and Facebook and Facebook messages and Twitter are full of my friends talking to me like we're down the pub. No one sends me mail to say, what do you think about the new episode of Broadchurch? They never <laughs> they never write to me about this. A postcard yeah. is a really funny thing to get now. Uh, an invite is quite a nice thing to get. I like getting invited yeah. to things in the post. They, they feel oh, nice. Yeah. But otherwise... But normally, because what happens nowadays is no one writes anyone's address down it. So what happens is if someone's having a thing, they email they'll you, email you, they email you and go, what's your address? And then you mm. know that they're going to send you like a thank you card or an invitation. And then, and then like a few days later it turns up and that's very nice. But you just think, why didn't you just say thank you or I'm having a party yeah. or it's my I wedding anniversary? And or, it's weird yeah. because I'm talking about this as if it's a, a, like a modern irritation like I'm on Grumpy Old Man. Oh, but God, it, no, it's yeah. not. It's a proper fear because I don't deal with it in a rational way. I hide it. I've got a drawer. It used to be behind the microwave. There's a joke in the Family Examiner about hiding things behind the microwave. I think I might have used it again recently. I, I used to hide anything behind the microwave mm. then it would disappear. And now I put my mail in a drawer and I open it up and it's always nice. There's a pile of it at home which arrived. I was away on holiday and I didn't open it yesterday because I thought, A, the excuse I've got is I'm doing this podcast today, so I'd better not have opened it because then I'll be feeling fine about it. I've and got to. It, yeah. I've got it's a knot. I've got yeah. a knot in my throat talking about it because it's there, and I'm frightened. One of the envelopes is brown, with a window in it, oh. which means that's from usually because I'm quite good. I pay my taxes mm. and I I'm quite good at my accounts and things. I don't not usually that late or overdue with them if I can help it. So it's going to be someone saying thank you for sending the money for your tax in or saying, here's a rebate, you pay too much. I'm still properly frightened of it. That was Joel Morris. Hooray! Um, uh, My guest next week. I don't know yet. It's a mystery. Uh, Got lots of (laughs) uh, lovely interviews banked with funny people and um, just going to decide who's next um, to edit. Uh, we work really, really hard on the show, uh, especially the producer, Gav. So uh, send him your appreciation at Kumru Gav. Uh, he deserves it. You can rate and review the show on iTunes. Uh, the theme music was by Tim Bazell. You can find us on Twitter at The Fear Podcast. And hope you'll join us next week for my mystery spooky guest. Ooh, mystery, mystery, spooky, spooky. <laughs> Bye. Hello, 
my name is Pete Ellison. This is Dave Cribb. Hello, and we do a podcast called Friends with Friends, as you might have guessed from the music that's playing underneath, uh, which is a sort of lo-fi rendition of the Friends theme tune for rights reasons. We get a different guest on every week on our podcast to talk about their favourite episode of Friends. And we look through it in excruciating detail. We pick through levels of plots like no one has ever done before. So if you like Friends or just listening to people talking, which are both valid activities, do look us up on the old podcast app and that. Friends with friends and we're on Twitter at friends WF.